So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. And in the last few weeks, we have seen a growing opposition to Jesus from the Jewish religious leaders, particularly this group known as the Pharisees. All that come to a head, all that, all that will come to a head today as we look at one more conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, having to do with the Sabbath day. This great claim of Christ came out of a grumble from some of his observ observers. The Pharisees were in effect building up a file entitled Offensive Things Said and Done by Jesus of Nazareth and His Followers. This record would be the basis of the indictment that they would eventually bring against Him. He had cleansed the leper, but He offended them. He had... He spoke, and the winds obeyed him, and he offended them. He preached a sermon on the mound, but they found some things that he said deeply offensive. And he decided that they had to kill him. All of this was early on in his ministry. He, can, he cannot have been preaching for more than a few months. And the Pharisees began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. Mark 3, verse 6. So we must always re remember that the Lord Jesus was crucified for what he said, because he claimed to be God, the God-man. So if you're able, please stand up for the reading of God's Word, and we're in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And the Word of the Lord says, On the Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David said? I mean, what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of, of the presence, which, was, which is not lawful for anyone except the priests, and also gave some to his companions, then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Lord of the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning through his holy word. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for allowing us to gather together, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your word would come forth, Lord, and would speak to us this morning, Lord, that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath, and Lord, that we would Remind ourselves, Lord, that God has given us rest in Christ and that we are forgiven of our sins, Lord, because of the sacrifice that Christ did on the cross, Lord. So bless us today through your word, Lord, that we may be instructed and that we may be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Pharisees had been around for 200 years as a political and religious pressure group. In other words, when Jesus began his ministry... The Pharisees had been in existence longer than Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, and Charles Darwin, and their followers have, have existed in our own day. The Pharisees were men who didn't have the authority to make laws or enforce laws, but they did have a following in the country. So they had a lot of followers, the Pharisees. And many individual Pharisees were respected men. They were considered religious experts and defenders of the old religion. In fact, they were self-appointed guardians of public morality. So when the Lord Jesus emerged and began His preaching, drawing a vast crowd, the Pharisees were out in force, checking up on Jesus. 
watching, listening to his every word. And one Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples were walking along a country path during the, through the cornfields. And the young men with him began to pluck some of the ears of the corn, rubbing them between their hands and chewing their seeds. They did this because they needed food. They were hungry. It was not with the casual interest we take in doing the same thing as we walk along the path of, to church through the fields and wonder how, how ears of wheat taste. Matthew tells us that the disciples were hungry and Jesus was multiply, and was not multiplying loaves and fishes to feed them. He was in charge of this situation, teaching them to trust in Him and to depend on His provision. He was encouraging them to use the means that God had provided for the poor people not to starve. Men were legally permitted to take some heads of grain from the edges of his neighbor's fields, but the Pharisees' viewpoint was this. It was, wicked, it was a wicked to act in this way on the Sabbath because this activity effectively was reaping and all such work was forbidden on the Sabbath day. They, were, they had all these kinds of rules. And if it had been anyone else behaving like that, then the Pharisees wouldn't have opened their mouths. But this was the number one preacher and healer whom everybody was talking about. So he, the Pharisees came right up to our Lord and they asked him why he was encouraging his, this, his followers' this sinful behavior. Because the Pharisees saw that as sinful. And here again, Mark is introducing us to people who thought they knew all about religion. Have you met anybody who thinks they know all about religion? For the Pharisees, religion meant adding certain things to your life. So you're adding, like fasting, and we, you know, we spoke about that last week. Or refraining from doing certain things, especially on the Sabbath, because that was a very important day for the Jewish uh, Pharisees. For them, the essence of religion was ceremonies and abstinences. But except for baptism, there was none of that in Jesus. Didn't he care about the Sabbath? Didn't Jesus care about the uh, Sabbath? What was the kingdom of God he was speaking about all this time? So this grumble from the Pharisees about religion was all set up by the Lord, by Christ himself, in order for him to give this memorable response. A self-disclosure of the living Christ. Who were the Pharisees dealing with? The Lord is showing them that from now on, true religion is knowing the truth. About Christ, the Son of God, believing in Him and following Him. Amen? So let's examine Jesus' answer and see what it tells us about Him. The first point, who is to argue with a king? Who is to argue with the king? And that is Jesus Christ. Christ answers, first of all, by appealing to the Bible and challenging the Pharisees about their ignorance of Scripture. So we read in verse 25, what it says in verse 25, have you never read? Have you never read? You Pharisees know very well your own traditions and laws and rules and regulations. Don't you have 39 principal works, each one subdivided into six minor categories, 234 categories in total. Isn't that a lot? Describing all the activities that are prohibited on the Sabbath day. You Pharisees excel in reciting all these prohibitions. Religion for you consists of doing all the things written down in your books, but have you never read the book? 
in a very simple way, I want to say that this is the first challenge the Lord Jesus is issuing today. Have you never read the Bible? Why not? Maybe someone's listening right here. Have you ever read the Bible? Why not? You've all been to school and some of you to the university and you read Chaucer and Shakespeare and Welsh language and science textbooks and manuals on how to operate your motorbike computer. People are very smart today, right? They have computer laptops and all kinds of technological stuff. Have you never read the scriptures? You think you know about you know about Christianity. Have you ever read the Bible? <clears throat> if you haven't or you don't know, if you haven't, you don't know. Because if you're not growing in your understanding of the scriptures, then you're not growing in your understanding of Christianity. Because all of our answers are found in the Word of God. Then the Lord Jesus asked the Pharisees, here's a, here's a Bible knowledge question. What did David do when he and his companions were weak with hunger? What did they do in the Old Testament? And then he, and the Pharisees, you don't know? Then I will remind you of what happened during the time of Abiathar, which was a high priest when Ahimelech, his father, was also a priest. And this is what occurred. David entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, imagine that, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. It's a pretty big thing right there. King David could do that, couldn't he? He's asking the, the, the Pharisees. King David could do that, couldn't he? He was king. David was king. Jesus' inference was this. Because the great King David did that, I can authorize my servants to pluck ears of corns today. Amen. No apology for his disciples' behavior. Jesus does not need to apologize to, to the Pharisees. Quite the reverse. He knew that picking ears of corn of the, on the Sabbath and eating them would be provocative behavior for the Pharisees. But Jesus encouraged his disciples to, to do this in order to speak as he does. The Pharisees didn't know the scriptures. They didn't know the scriptures. And what they are now thinking is something like this. We cannot believe what we are hearing. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, is actually putting himself on par with King David? They're outraged. They're shocked. And at that period in David's life, when, Je when jealous King Saul was searching for him to murder him, David was the anointed one. He had already been anointed, but he was running because he was trying. He was going to. He was trying. He was being persecuted by King Saul, who was king at that time. And he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to become king of Israel, but not yet the crowded, the, the crowned one. Jesus was also. There's a there's a connection there. The foxes had holes, and the birds of the air had their nests, but there was no royal place for David yet. He was running. He was. Trying to save his life. He had nowhere to lay his head. He was being hunted like a patriarch in the wilderness. With a ragtag bobtail group of supporters scurrying across the countryside. Keeping a mountain between themselves and Saul's soldiers. One day in the future his enemies would all be scattered. And he would reign with mighty power. And he did. Right? King David came to reign for Israel. 
So here is a parallel. Homeless, opposed, poor King Jesus and his followers were awaiting the time when he would be recognized and enthroned. Remember, the Lord Jesus has appeared and has been preaching on this theme. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom is near because the king himself is near. Jesus was there. And he had been marked out by God at his baptism. The heavens had been opened and the spirit had come upon him and the father has cried. You are my beloved son whom I am, who I love and whom I am well pleased. But King Jesus has not yet been enthroned. He's not been enthroned yet. He is now despised and rejected by man. Does that sound familiar? As Isaiah prophesies. He identifies with the poor, surviving on ears of corn taken from the hedge, edge of, the fe- of a field. He has to die and rise and ascend to heaven. Until then, he is servant king. That's a big title. That's a big theme in the Gospel of Mark. Servant king in the world. He has the right as a hungry God-man from heaven to take from his creation and eat and let his followers eat too. God saved the king. Eating ears of corn on a Sabbath was not a civil disobedience. It was not even a cry for religious reformation. This was a sign from heaven of a glorious humiliation of God. Like Jesus' refusal to teach his followers to fast was a sign that the sovereign king was there in their midst, as we learned last week from Pastor Gerardo. The kingdom of God had arrived and was spreading and his disciples were amongst the first members of it. Christ was giving birth to a new creation and it was appearing in the old groaning world. This is Jesus' first elusive and provocative answer to these Pharisees. Who are you to argue with what the king and his followers do? That's Jesus' first point. Who are you to argue with what the king and his followers do? Jesus king of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Second point. Who is to argue with the son of man? The son of man is a, a, a title that Jesus has given himself. But Jesus has not finished with the Pharisees. He tells them once again that he is the son of man. In other words, he is claiming that he is divine. Do we see that in scripture there? I remind you that he is the sec- he, he is, this is the second time he has made that claim. He has already done that in Capernaum when he had pardoned and healed the paralytic. There he had turned to the Pharisees who had entered his own home and had said to them, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And that is found in Mark chapter 2 verse 10. We have already gone through that. And he had then performed this miracle. Perhaps the Pharisees thought they had misheard him on that occasion. Maybe it had been a one-off remark. And certainly they had been overcome by the greatness of the miracle. But Jesus is speaking. He is saying that he is the God-man. Whatever the reason, we are told that they picked up his words then. Maybe they have, maybe they didn't. Now again, he reaffirms the claim to be the Son of Man in verse 28. Indeed, on no less than 14 occasions in Mark's Gospel, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. In the whole New Testament, this phrase, Son of Man, occurs only 
in the lips of Jesus. There's a reason why he's saying it. Well, let us be specific. There is only one real exception, and that is when Luke tells us in the book of Acts that the dying martyr Stephen could see the heavens opening, and there he go, and there he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, and that is found in Acts chapter 7, 56. So who was, or who or what, is this Son of Man? What is this? Who is this Son of Man? This title is not simply the counterpoise to the title Son of God. As some people think, oh, Son of God, Son of Man, they're probably like just counter. It is not that the first describes Jesus' manhood and the second his godhood. No, it does not refer to this human nature at all. Far from emphasizing his humiliated and lowly state as the title of the Son of Man, it refers to a figure of pre-existence and majesty. So where do you find this figure? You find it in the Bible. It was not a newly minted phrase of Jesus, but he put it to, his, to, to special use. The Son of Man appears in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. And we're going to go there, where we read these words of that prophet. So if you guys want to go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel chapter 7. there, say Amen. And it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, listen to that, authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That is Jesus right there in Daniel. So this figure is divine. He is superhuman, not a son of man, but like a son of man. He is permitted to come into God's presence, the ancient of days, and he is not destroyed. He exercises authority and sovereign power. His influence is international and eternal. He is worshipped. He is indestructible. And he appears, we are told, coming with the clouds of heaven. And where do we read of the clouds of heaven? In a number of places where God's glory is being revealed. At Sinai, Sinai, in the pillar of cloud that led the people through the wilderness each day. In the cloud of glory that filled Solomon's temple. And in the New Testament at the transfiguration and again at the second coming when Christ will appear in the clouds of heaven. Amen? Amen. Jesus of Capernaum is claiming to be that son of man, royal, superhuman, divine, pre-existent. Has that scripture of Daniel actually been fulfilled? The Pharisees are incredulous. 
They're not believing at the thought. They know all about Jesus. They know this Jesus. He is a carpenter's son from Nazareth. He is born in a stable. He may be a healer and a teacher, but hasn't he hasn't two pennies to rub together. He and his followers are surviving with pauper's fare, grain to gather, grain gathered from the hedge of a field. As he himself acknowledged, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So the, the Pharisees are like, Jesus, this isn't the guy, the, the Daniel, the, the Son of Man from Daniel. It can't be. They're, they're non-believing. The Pharisees were scandalized at the thought of Daniel's divine Son of Man strolling through the cornfield with his followers while the land was still under Roman yoke. Because the Fer- they were looking for a warrior king who would remove the Roman Empire and establish his kingdom there. This Jesus actually thought of himself as the Son of God, and they said, blasphemy, that's what Pharisees said. Then, what would these Pharisees think of him when they saw him hang between two thieves on a cross and, and die there? What would they think? Daniel's son of man being crucified and killed by the Romans at the decree of their own Supreme Court? Impossible. He was a charlatan. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see that it was God's extraordinary grace to sinners like you and I that had not spared the very Son of Man from the cross in order that hypocrites and Pharisees would repent and believe in Him and they might be saved by His precious blood. Amen? How could Daniel's Son of Man be given glory and power? How could that be? How could the nations bow and worship him by the cross? And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, he says. There was no other way, there was no other good enough to pay the price for sin. That Christ of the cross with us today, and he is with those who suffer in their own pain, or witness those they love suffering. He has been hungry and met opposition too. He is God with us. Emmanuel, we just sang. Amen? Amen. The Pharisees had this blinkered view of Jesus. They hadn't been with the shepherds in the field of Bethlehem when the glory of the Lord was revealed. When suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Nor had they seen this at his baptism, heaven open and the Spirit descending upon him with measure, and they hadn't heard a voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. They were not to encounter the resurrected, glorious Lord, but in the tremendous day yet they will see him and cry to the mountains and rocks to cover them, as it says in the scriptures. This Lord Jesus who walks through the cornfields on the Sabbath knows who He Himself is. Many of you have no idea who you are, let alone who Jesus Christ is. He is from another world. He is great David's greater Son. He is the Lord from heaven. He has been sent here by the Father and willingly He has come. He is to return to the heavenly world when his mission is accomplished. His whole life is pervaded by the uncanny and invincible and the cruelly supernatural. It is often so unsophisticated and primitive. Suddenly, he will rebuke a demon. 
He will curse a fig tree. He will walk on water. He will raise a dead boy to life in a tiny community called Nain. Then he will go on and preach the most sublime ethics ever heard on this planet. This is how incarnate God behaved in Galilee 20 centuries ago. His realm is the ancient of days. His statue symbol, the clouds of heaven. His jurisdiction, universal. His dominion, everlasting. His destiny, glory and sovereignty. The proper response to him is what? Worship. Because Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. He has come from heaven and when human nature and human consciousness, when he thinks of himself, of his home and of his most primal relationship, then he is, then it is to his Father in heaven that he naturally refers because he takes his identity from that. The scene of the Son of Man in the book of Daniel has informed the reading Jesus most fully as to who he was and who he was destined to. When he later was to claim that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, Christ was thinking of Daniel's vision. Jesus had a special relationship with God the Father and a special relationship with man. This resistance and hostility beginning in the cornfields of Galilee were going to increase in hatred and result in the death, but one day would be followed by glory. Not man's glory, but glory of the Son of Man. He would enjoy it as the man and the servant whom he would be exalted very high. So the third point, who is to argue with the Lord of the Sabbath? Who is to argue with the Lord of the Sabbath? The Lord had not finished answering these Pharisees. The Son of Man is Lord not is, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Verse 28, if we read there. So who is this? Once a man from Nazareth stood still in a, corn of, in, a, in a field of corn surrounded by his friends and opposed by a group of religious men and he, said to, and he told them that he was Yahweh, he was Jehovah, even of the Sabbath. Now those were the words of the megalomaniac or were they words of God, of the God incarnate? Because it's either one or the other. Either Jesus is Crazy, or he is who he says he is, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity. So what does he mean by this claim? He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is referring, first of all, to creation, to the creation Sabbath. The fourth commandment begins with the words in Exodus 28. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember it. Remember the Sabbath. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Very important. The Sabbath did not originate in the book of Exodus. It did not. Recall what you're in danger of forgetting, what they were forgetting, the Pharisees themselves. How God made the heavens and the earth. The fourth commandment in Exodus 20 tells us, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Exodus 20, 11. So who was that Lord who made the heavens and the earth in six days? Who was that Lord? 
Who was it? Who was that Lord who, res who rested on the seventh day and blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy? What's his name? His name is Jesus. John tells us at the beginning of his, of his gospel, and it says in John chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3, if you guys want to go there. John chapter 1, 2, and 3. Jesus is creator. He says, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. That's Jesus right there, right? The idea of the Sabbath didn't originate with the Pharisees or any group of men, but with the Lord Jesus. He created it. He made it. The Sabbath is not Moses' Sabbath or the Jews' Sabbath, or our family's Sabbath. It is the Lord Jesus' Sabbath. Amen? Amen? Christ made it holy. When our Lord completed making the heavens and the earth, He rested from all His work, and He invited the man and the woman whom He had created on the sixth day to join Him in His celebration of what He had made. The Lord Jesus had made the atmosphere The oxygen which the Pharisees were breathing. Imagine that. He had designed the corn seed. He had made the earth and the cycle of seed time and harvest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord had not blessed the day for his own sake, but the man and woman he had created. The Sabbath was appointed for their benefit, for their happiness, for their joy, for their refreshment. So Jesus says here to the Pharisees, to the Pharisees, with his own disciples listening attentively, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He is speaking like a designer, like some sort of designer of some super sophisticated device who is explaining its purpose. What he had in mind when he put it together to a group of students listening. So the Lord says, the Sabbath came into being for the sake of man, for you and for me. This is why it was introduced and instituted. Mighty God didn't need it. He doesn't need a rest or be refreshed, does he? God does not get tired. The Lord Jesus wasn't tired after six days of creating. It wasn't that he needed to sit down, sit down and catch his breath. Did he need to do that because he was tired? No, he's God. The Sabbath was God's gift to us, to the man and woman he had prepared to be his servants and workers on the earth. It was Jesus who invented it. It was Jesus who set it apart from all other six days of the week. And so it was a holy day. It was not simply a day of Full of negatives, but a day to enjoy Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what the disciples and their Lord were doing as they walked through the corn field. Because the Pharisees had twisted it, had changed it to be something that it wasn't meant to be. A burdensome. We need some regular quality time to spend with 
the Lord. Of course we can do it and enjoy the Savior every day. We can do that anytime, Monday through Sunday. But sometimes our days are full and our work is frustrating so that our days are not very enjoyable. The Sabbath was made for man so that for a whole day, even in every seven, we can pause and spend more time with our Lord. He dominates the whole day. Again, when Jesus says that He is Lord of the Sabbath, He is referring to the Exodus Sabbath. Now what happened there? You know that the Ten Commandments are found twice in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy. The wording of the Fourth Commandment is different in those two records. Moses quotes the commandment like this in the book of Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then he points to this, and this is very important. Remember you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore he, therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. That is very important. You cannot observe the Sabbath unless you remember you were once, you once belonged to an enslaved people. You were in bondage to sin, through sin, to sin and you could not deliver yourselves from that slavery. But, the Lord in His mercy destroyed your enemy. Amen? Amen. We were bondage to sin. And now we're delivered because of what Christ has done for us. He provided a way of deliverance from judgment and gave you victory over your foes. And, 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 you, remember, and, and you remember how the Lord did it by the Passover lamb. You guys remember the Passover lamb? One night, all of the firstborn sons of Egypt, Egypt died in their beds. God killed them all. But if, you're, but if you sacrificed a lamb and sprinkled his blood on the, on the dropius of your family, on the, on the doorstep, your families were spared. And out of captivity, you came and off the land of promise. And on, off to the land of promise. This was a mighty work of God in the Old Testament. There was a great range of faith among God's people that night. Think about it. Imagine you were there and you were commanded to do that. Some of them had weak faith. They were like, man, I guess I'm going to put some blood in my, in my doorstep. Others, others were. And then some of them had weak faith. And after they had sprinkled the blood and eaten the meal, they slept a nightless worry, longing for the first light of dawn. So some of them were worried. Others had strong faith. So some of, some of them were like, man, yeah, let's put it. We're not, we're not, nothing's going to happen to us. They sprinkled the blood and ate the meal and turned for a solid night's sleep. So there was those weak ones and there was those strong ones. <clears throat> but in the morning, both families found themselves redeemed because they had done what God had told them to do with the blood. So whether you had weak faith or strong faith, God saved them because they were obedient. Now you, may, now you ask the question, as to how could the blood of mere animals redeem men and women made in the image of God? There is no way it could. Think of all the gallons of animal blood shed at the Passover night in 100,000 homes in Egypt. Think about that. And not one person was made one spot cleaner by that flowing Red Sea. Not one stain of sin could be removed by mere sheep's blood. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes our guilt away. 
a sacrifice of noble name, of nobler name, and richer blood than they. That's Isaac Watt. Those lambs were types, that is, they were symbols and teaching devices, all pointing forward to the one great lambs who at the Passover feast in Jerusalem around A.D. 33 would become the Lamb of God, who all by himself would take away the sin of the world in his royal death on Golgotha. Amen? Amen. Only his blood can make the foulest clean. The Lamb of God is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath day was a time for Old Testament Christians to rejoice in experience and hope of redeeming mercy. The promise was that one day someone would come who would be bruised for their iniquities. The Lord will lay on him the sins of us all. We know who this is, right? Jesus, amen? All right, I know it's a long sermon. I still got a little bit more to go. Conclusion. So who is this Jesus who came, who claims to be king and tells us that he is the son of man and the Lord of the Sabbath? Who is this Jesus? I want to point three points to wrap this up. Christ is Lord over time. He is Lord over time. I'm going to read a, a song by Henry F. Light. And it says, My times are in thy hand. My God, I wish them there. My life, my friends, my soul, I have entirely to thy care. My times are in, in thy hand, whatever they may be, pleasing or painful, dark or bright, as best as may be, as may be seen to thee. My times are in thy hand, why should I doubt or fear? A father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. My times are in thy hand, Jesus the crucified, the hand, of my, the hand my cruel sins have pierced, is now my guard and guide. Those are the words based on Psalm 31, verse 15, which says, My times are in thy hand. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath, then He is the Lord over time, right? And our use of time. Now I have a little idea of what time is. Time, can, time, time and space are always linked for us, for us, but both are created by the Lord of Sabbath. There is the cycle of the year, and people talk of the four seasons. We're here in California, we don't really get four seasons, but other places in the country do. There is the change in the shape of the moon, and out of that came moons or months, as it said. The sun rises on the east and sets on the west, and so we have days. But the, but, but the week, have you ever thought about the week? There is no explanation for a unit of seven days. There is no earth or space origin for joining the days together in groups of seven. Yet any attempt to change it like Napoleon tried in history has been doomed to failure. We go to Christ for the, orig for the origin of the week. He designed a seven day cycle for this world. The week and the keeping of one day special is a proof of the existence of God. God is not tied to days, months, or years as we are. He does not grow older as we do. We are made from dust of this earth and, into, and, and all who live everywhere on this earth in 2018 find themselves bound by this strange seven-day cycle. We are able to extend our working day by using electric, electric lights, but we cannot extend the day. We cannot. We cannot make it either longer or shorter. We are subject to time and have no authority over it. You thought about that? 
My Apple Watch goes right on flashing as the persistent reminder of God's time progressing. Independently of me or my wishes. No matter how hard I might try, I can't make tax day come later or Christmas come sooner. God made time and His sovereignty over it is total. Amen? Amen. So what? All time is now Christ's time. Amen? He sustains all the world. We live and we die, not by accident, but by His, at His will. He times the death of the sparrow and has made the appointment for every time every one of us will meet Him one day. He's going to call us to account for our stewardship of time. Your time is not yours to use as you please. It is a gift from the Lord Christ to whom you are, a, you are answerable. The time For time as well as for all His gifts. He's given them to you and you are to use them for Him. I urge you to spend your time in nothing in which you know you must repent of. In nothing of which you might not pray for the blessing of God. In nothing in which you could not review with a quiet conscience on your dying day. In nothing in which you might not safely and properly be found doing if, you, if death should surprise you in the act. Time goes, you say, alas, no time stays and we go. It's the reality that time goes by quick. Great men never complain about the lack of time. Alexander the Great and John Wesley accomplished everything they did in the units of seven days and seven, seven, and seven day weeks. We are always complaining that a week flies by, are we not sometimes? That Saturday arrives before we know it, and yet at the same time, <clears throat> acting as if they would never end. Whatever the Lord of Sabbath wants you to do with your life, he will enable you to do. Whatever mountains He wants you to climb, whatever burdens He wants you to bear, whatever service He wants you to give, whatever achievements He wants you to attain, then the living Lord can enable you to perform them all. How can you go on a day longer without His strength mightily working in you? Second point, Christ is over our work. Six days you shall labor, the Lord of the Sabbath has said. If we are unemployed, then, he will, then we will find ways to use our minds and bodies in serving our neighbors. If we have taken early retirement, then while we have health and strength, we will serve our neighbors. You must keep working. We are made to work. We are made in the image of God. He created, He, he, he made us as working creatures, the world in six days, and He rested. We are made to do the same as He did. All of work can be done to the glory of our Lord of the Sabbath. Amen? If I am a Baptist pastor, or if I work in Burger King, whether my sphere of labor is in the scriptures or in the seas, whether I am a plumber or a preacher or a pension, pensioner of my work, whatever it is, a calling and a stewardship, my work comes under the immediate authority of Jesus Christ. Does it not? Consider Paul talking to the Christian slaves in Colossae. Obviously, work done in certain, by certain slaves was highly responsible as treasures and teachers. But as much as it would have been mundane and repetitive and unrewarding. Slaves, imagine slaves, they were doing the mundane things. Paul tells them that Christ made a difference to their work. 
And it says in Colossians, we've already preached through this, 4.23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It is as if every task you are doing that work is for Jesus Christ. It is as if you are being paid by the Savior. Then he turns to their master who are Christian and says to Christ that Christ makes a difference to their attitude of those who work for them. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven, Colossians 4.1. The master in heaven is our role model. And for years he worked with his father as a joiner in Nazareth. He was the son of man, but he, was, but he washed the feet of his followers. Imagine. So masters, remember your master in heaven. He is Lord over our work. And then finally, the last point. Christ is Lord over our rest. The Lord Christ appointed the Sabbath as a day of rest. It was not an oppressive day, but a blessing. Think of the Sabbath as a blessing. It was rest for parents, for children, for servants, for guests, for visitors. The, even the animals got to know that every seven days they didn't have to bear burdens or pull cards or plow. Imagine, the, even the animals. Even the land itself enjoyed a Sabbath rest every seventh year. The fields lay fallow and uncultivated. The Sabbath is the Lord's holiday. And let me read you something from Bruce Ray. The king of the universe gives all his subjects one day off every week to celebrate his creation, to interrupt their daily work and to rest in his and thereby be refreshed. It's a blessing to us, the Sabbath. The disciples are present with Jesus on the Sabbath. They are going with him and that is what we are told. Levi is no longer collecting taxes. James and John and John are no longer throwing their nets out. A Sabbath is to be spent in the steps of Jesus. Amen? There is no resentment that the Lord has interrupted their work. Levi looks back at the time when he hurried along the streets in Capernaum on the Sabbath to his tax collector's booth every day of his life. No one must pass except they first paid their customs duty. Levi now shakes his head in shame and he thinks of himself how he used to live for that booth and the money he collected there. Now he can be with the greatest person in the world on the Sabbath, his Lord Jesus Christ. I don't live for money. I don't live for my job. I don't live for my family. I live for my God. And he became incarnate in his son, Jesus Christ. I live by faith in this, in this son of man who loves me. And I want my job and my rest and my six days of labor and my day of refreshment all to feed off him and to be my service to him. What lies before me is the rest which, people, which the people of God are going to enjoy. And the best part of that will be that this Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, is going to be there. And that will be heaven, to be with Him forever and ever, resting with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks because You have instituted the Sabbath for our blessing, Lord, for our good. It is not a set of rules or a set of ceremonies or a set of burdens for us, Lord. It is a blessing, Lord, that we get to rest in You. In the finished work of Christ on the cross, Lord, that He has paid all of our sins, Lord, and that we are... Yours, Lord, forever and ever, Lord. And so I just pray, Lord, that we would today, Lord, 
um, be reminded, Lord, that our rest is in Christ Jesus and that he is Lord of the Sabbath and that for that we give him praise and glory and thanks, Lord. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.